Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and yet again, welcome to another episode of the podcast series. Today on the show, I have Brian Germain, and boy, did we go down some really cool, deep and interesting rabbit holes. I hope you're ready for some insights into some awesome areas of the mind, and I learned a huge amount in this conversation. So where to begin with Brian and his CV? Let's just say he's lived a very full and very thorough life. He is a world-renowned skydiver, but a whole lot more than this too. He is an author, inventor, and keynote speaker. Brian made his first skydive in 1986 at the age of 18, and today is known to absolutely everybody in the skydiving community around the planet. He was the inventor of the Airlock and Jedi Parachute Canopy Technologies. Today, with over 14,000 jumps and 25 years of instructional experience, Brian travels the world teaching basic, advanced, and instructor-level canopy courses, provides life coaching, keynote speaking, and workshops for corporate and organizational events. He has authored numerous critically acclaimed books, designs parachutes, and is a featured instructor and keynote speaker at Adventure Wisdom LLC. Today, we talk a lot about fear and the tool to try and face fear head on. In his line of work, the emotion of fear is at the forefront of what he does, so there's no one better place to talk about it than Brian. As always, we explore tools to help rationalize the fear and to help overcome it, how to look fear right in the eye and how to get to the root of the problem, asking the question, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through the pain? What is your purpose is a way to interrogate what fear brings. We also touch on subjects such as mindfulness, meditation, visualization, breathing, reflecting, reframing, building confidence, and perfectionism, to name but a few. If you would like to hear and see more from Brian, then please do search him out on LinkedIn or visit his website, www.adventurewisdom.com. So on that note, please buckle in, and enjoy my inspiring and fun conversation with Brian Germain. 
Ryan Germain, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really glad we could have this chat today. Thank you for rescheduling a couple of times. So really glad we could sit and have this. But um, listen, always a good launching pad is um, is to for you to give a brief introduction to yourself, your background, how you've got here today, and having a quick look at your bio. Um, we could probably have a whole podcast on your life adventures till this point. But um, yeah, do you want to give the listeners a bit of a, a bit of an intro, please? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Great, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this is a, it's always a great opportunity to, to be able to reach out with ideas, you know, into the world, ideas that, that possibly can help people. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I have really two aspects to my career. Uh, so one is studying psychology, and I've been fascinated with adventure sports and what it gives us in terms of, of human development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part is I jump out of airplanes. <laughs> Uh, not casually. <laughs> There's something strapped to your back. I'm assuming at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah. With uh, with parachutes that uh, are extremely high tech and well well thought out. You know, it's it's really not an insane risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've done it thousands and thousands of times. I'm, I'm uh, April. I begin my 36th year. Wow. Of jumping out of planes. I don't have an exact count, but uh, the estimation is about 16,000 jumps. Incredible. Uh, I design and build parachutes. I also have done a lot of competition on the highest level, uh, the X Games and that sort of thing, you know, U.S. Nationals. And um, it's it's really helped me to kind of refine my model, you know, mm-hmm. to apply what I've learned about psych, ap- apply what I've learned about, uh, about human physiology and training, mm-hmm. uh, and apply, obviously, what I know about, about the actual event, uh, mm-hmm. about skydiving. You know, there's a, a lot of detail. You think it's just you just jump out the door, and it's not that. <laughs> no, geez, I can imagine. And and again, uh, for for me and maybe a few of my listeners, this is going to be completely new territory. And we might touch on little bits of skydiving, but I'm obviously going to drill into the more the psychology side because that that is where I think you know we we both get a lot of energy and our juices can flow pretty quickly from there. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm interested to to know about the I suppose the dovetailing effect of the the psychology and and your skydiving. How you know yeah. was there one that led to the other? Did they dovetail at the same time? So how did how do those connect? Well, I mean, for me, the the psychology stuff was first um, because I, I mean, the way the way I see it, and as I look back, you know, I was a scared kid. I was, you know, kind of a regular kid. I, uh, I just had a fear of heights, like most people do. Um, but it held me back when I was younger, mm-hmm. and uh, it just I would avoid, you know, I'd avoid circumstances that provoke that. And when I was fourteen, I worked on a schooner. A large sailing ship, 118 foot long, a beautiful steel hull, double mast ship. And when you're low on the totem pole, you got to climb up in the rigging a lot, mm-hmm. you know, at high seas. You know, you're up wow. in, you know, climbing up the ratlins out, out the yard arm, out, you know, dropping sails on the square soles. Um, And it was terrifying. And I really, I, I was to the point where I was almost frozen. And so I started looking at what I could do just in that moment, even as a 14 year old kid, what can I do to soothe my fears and maximize my abilities? Because what keeps me safe is my skills, my power. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that my fear was robbing me of physical power. I would become weaker. I'd become slower. I'd become less creative, less problem oriented or solution oriented, more problem oriented. Mm -hmm. And um, and that that started my curiosity. My mom was a psych major, and you know we talked about this stuff a lot. Um, you know, she did her master's in, in that stuff too. So 
I uh, became very interested in researching that in meditation mm. and its effects on, on performance and our ability to select our thoughts nice. Uh, nice. and let, let go of the thoughts that aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I started skydiving, it all applied very, very well. And I was like, wow, this is a rich format, man. This yes. is this is an opportunity to apply what I, you know, what I've theorized uh, are the most powerful techniques. That's a yeah. uh, well, cool, cool little um, link story there. So for timeline's yeah. sake, at, at 14, any skydiving, did that obviously a fear of heights as a child, and then you're, you know, yeah. a, a high level thousands of jump skydiver. That is, that's quite a leap, but obviously there's mm-hmm. steps and stages along the way. So when did skydiving, again, we, we can kind of come back on your timelines yeah. a bit, but when did skydiving yeah. become actually a thing in your life? I was, I was 18. Okay. When I when I made my first jump, I was already actively uh, heavily into rock climbing. I was a ski racer on the on a very high level. I, I did very well in ski racing, um, and and all of these things were you know just sort of building me up towards you know this this greater not just uh, understanding is a strong word you know it I'm I'm uh, reaching for understanding. Mm. I'll always be reaching for understanding because I'm learning more every day. We all are. Uh, about ourselves and uh, you got to put yourself out there to learn about yourself you can't just sit on the couch and, exactly. and learn it. i love that that's um i again people that listen to me regular might be sick of me saying this but i just love the the, the zen buddhist quote you know uh the novice asks the master how do i reach enlightenment and they say chop wood carry water so once yes. i've reached enlightenment how do i what do i do after that chop wood carry water so That's in great. a way there's almost no such thing as enlightenment yes there is certainly but there's we're on a path to mastery the whole time and we're going to be often on the path but how can we mm. keep chopping wood carrying water so you no know, it sounds like you know we're going to align with stuff like mindfulness and meditation and the Absolutely. power of the mind powerful isn't it yes it is yeah well, it's the only game in town mm-hmm. everything else is just the moving of physics you know and and what drives the physics is the is the mind you know, is is tension clarified intention uh, and attention to what you desire, what you want to create, what you want to experience, and deliberate inattention to all of the pitfalls along the way, all the exit ramps, as 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 it were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from uh, you know this highway towards where you want to go. Love that. There's lots of them. There's lots of doubt, doubt that shows up. There's uh, just a, a, an old story within our minds that we didn't even invent uh, that chips away at our confidence. Mm, well, the, these are little threads I want to pull on through through the show, and you're already kind of yeah, like sparking <laughs> off a few of my little bits of imagination. But just before we get into those like deeper rooted, maybe like kind of issues is the wrong word, but deeper rooted thoughts and tools for those things as well. I get the feeling adrenaline is a big part of your life. Would I be correct in saying that? Um, you it know, is. The, the, yeah. So can you, have you always been seeking of adrenaline and, and how does that, you know, work just, just as a general topic? I wouldn't say I seek adrenaline. No, no. My experience is that I, I am interested in things that happen to have adrenaline and therefore uh, have the potential for a more uh, intense, positive emotional experience, Right. I mean, a roller coaster is more interesting than a couch because something's happening and there is a perception of risk. So it brings me to attention. So I'm in this present moment. We say that uh, you know, risk is forced enlightenment, momentary enlightenment, where you're completely present. Uh, and so that's what I'm attracted to, you know, to, to be in the, the tightrope walk biz, you know, uh, where I have to do things a certain way mm-hmm. or I'm going to have 
major consequences. Mm. And that brings me to attention. Interesting. And that's what I'm interested in. The necessary sort of side effect or byproduct is that, yeah, I'm going to have a reaction in my body. And that reaction has to be handled in the right way. And if it isn't, it will undermine me. Mm. It'll, it'll, right, it'll undermine the foundation of my intentions and I'll fall apart. Uh, so that process of, of soothing my fear, uh, especially in the context when others might lose their minds, um, you know, and, and even their lives, it's just very gratifying for me to do things like that and not feel that so much. Mm -hmm. Soften it and stay in the game and stay focused and, and do my job. Mm -hmm. And what's next? What's mm -hmm. next? Mm, I've got a whole bunch of questions on this now. So two two little uh -huh. strands I want to pick on there. Um, the yeah. one about, uh, again, maybe this is not the right terminology, but the hedonic treadmill, the hedonic adaptation. So yes, you get yeah. that, that the kind of the high, the kind of thing you're chasing. So that's one route. And the mm -hmm. second route, I'll mention it now, and we can pick which one we go with, is yes, you feel that satisfaction, that groundedness in the moment when there's a mm. risk involved. But what yeah. happens then in normal life? Like, like a lot of life is life is going to be normal for you, isn't it? And then how do we? How do you kind of? Are you just super yeah. bored in that? So there's yeah. two little roots there. I don't know which one you want to start with, or yeah. they're probably intertwined yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, re I'll go with recency, fresh in my mind. But the 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 idea that I've uh, um, realized is that uh, many skydivers at the beginning will get that bipolar experience where they're they're either on top of the world. Or they're not jumping and bored out of their minds, and you know, almost to the point where they 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 fill the space with additional uh, substandard risk that has no value. You know, you drive fast in your car or something like it's just dumb. You know, um, and and I've done it too. I've you know I've done you know, base jumps on bored days. You know that kind of thing where I just didn't need to. Um, so what I've been working on is reframing my perspective. Um, and so years ago, I, I moved to the Washington, D.C. area, having lived in Vermont and in Colorado and in Sweden and Norway. Um, and I was bored out of my mind, especially in the ski slopes. Really? Okay. They're tiny. You know, there's just these little ski slopes. And I was very snobby. You know, I really was. The first few years, I just didn't want to even do it. It just seemed so lame in comparison to being above tree line, you know, off piste in some amazing place. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I just, I remember stopping on uh, halfway down, you know, and having a moment. And I realized that I'm only skiing one turn at a time. What's ahead of me and what's behind me is irrelevant. Which mountain I'm on is irrelevant. It's about the experience. Nice. And if I can pull in intrinsic value to bump up my perspective on what I'm doing right now, the, the, you know, the ground under my feet, so to speak, right now, and really just pay attention anyway, make this just as important as skiing a big mountain in Colorado. And that. so that, that's what I try to do when I'm chopping wood and carrying water, when I'm eating you know, an avocado instead of you know, chips. When I'm eating, you know, when I'm doing something that is part of my training, part of my development, it has value. Mm, it's part of the big picture, part of the big goal. Mm, well described. I like that. That's, yeah, because I think that's an important point because, and again, linked to that first part of the question where the kind of the hedonic treadmill, the adaptation going, you, you're constantly seeking those highs, you're going after it again and again, but it sounds like 
you've calibrated yourself to to be grounded, to be present, to take each turn at a time, no matter where you are, so to speak. Um, would you say that that's how you help you manif- yeah, ma- manage the hedonic adaptation? Yeah, the addiction, I'll call it that, you yeah. know, and Ken Kesey said it very well, that we really need to upgrade our addictions into pre- into preferences, into seeing everything that we are attracted to is just, you know, sort of something we, on some level, are drawn towards, but some of those things we choose to let go of and just label it as, oh yeah, it's something that I used to really love, but it's not good for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to release it. I'm going to let it go. Um, and, and there's a, a lot of things that fall in that category. Yeah. Like, yeah. Things, things that we love that are just not beneficial. Mm. And then, yeah, possibly that's just, that's a maturity thing an experience thing. You know, you, yeah. you kind of tell a, a kind of a young 20 year old, yeah, you don't need to chase that Rolex watch or get this kind of a mate, but you know what? They probably need to make the mistake themselves. And then they realize, don't they? Yep. 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 In time, in time, they figure it, uh, hopefully, you know, through listening to conversations like this with old farts like us, <laughs> you know, they can, <laughs> they can get a so sense true. of, of, of where there is, a, you know, a fork in the road, where there is an opportunity for them to upgrade their perspective, mm. to find value in every moment. Yep, got it. And um, there's, I just want to go back a little bit of a step here. Again, you, you've taken a lot of risk in your life. And I think I read um, when I did some research on you that one thing in particular might have stood out. Was it when you were paragliding and the paraglide broke or something like that? Could you explain that story? And maybe that's got a, a bit of a landing or a kind of a launching pad into this whole concept of fear that I want to unpack with you. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I was flying an experimental paraglider. Uh, it was quite a while ago uh, that, that collapsed. Mm-hmm. So you know, a paraglider is basically a parachute that you hike up a, a mountain, inflate it, and then fly off uh, in the way that you would a hang glider, but you don't have all that complexity. You don't have to build a tent you know, beforehand. But that also means that it can uh, sort of you know, deflate or spiral out of control, and that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was flying on a day that, in retrospect, I never should have been flying. I never should have unpacked my paraglider. I should have just kept it in the bag and enjoyed the view. Why, why, why do you say? Why do you say that? Why was it a day you identified you shouldn't be flying? It was windy and turbulent. Okay, fair uh, enough. It, was, it wasn't something that, yeah, in your mind, but no, it was. Sometimes it is in my head. Sometimes mm. I have to select, you know, the, uh, my criterion based on, on on the internal circumstances. But this day, I had pretty clear precursors. Okay. You know, when, when the other paraglider pilots don't have their wings out, you know, <laughs> you're, not being, flags. Right? you're not being brave by pulling yours out. You're showing everybody that you're, you know, willful and egoic in this moment. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I had a, a collapse uh, about a hundred feet off the ground, spiraled me all the way into the side of the mountain. Um, and I was pretty well broken up. Um, you know, so I, so I spent quite a while in a wheelchair hmm. uh, as a result of all the the, the damage, you know, all the, the repair work they had to do with titanium and all that. Um, and the doctor told me I was never jumping again. Serious. Wow. Okay. He said, Brian, I don't think you're ever going to walk properly again. And when you get that kind of information as a professional athlete, you know, where you, you, I defined myself as that. It's a real game changer, you know, because it was a, it was a moment of transition in my life. It, it only was five or 10 seconds where I sat in silence after he said that. 
and kind of stared at the floor. And then something shifted in me where I, I, I took a deep breath in and I lifted my eyes and I looked him straight in the eye and I said, I hear what you're saying, Doc. I understand that most of the people you deal with will you know, sort of accept it, mm-hmm. you know, accept the limitations. But I said, Doc, you don't know me. I love that. And a year or so later, I guess it was about a year and a half later, I came back and said, Doc, you know, here's a, a photograph of me in free fall <laughs> at sunrise. I signed it with a metallic, you know, pen on the on the glass. And I said, Doc, I just won the X Games. No ways. Wow. You can be goosebumps, yeah, man. That's incredible. Um, and it was not easy. That you know, I mean, to tell the story that way, it sounds like a flip of the switch, but it wasn't. It was. I can it, imagine the processes were unbelievable up to that it point. It was terrifying. I mean, you know, cold sweats, you know, green in the face, shaking, you know, terrified. Hmm. Uh, little by little is is how I did it. Hmm. Lots of meditation, lots of physical training, lots of of pushing through pain, and acceptance of the fact that my path involves pain. My path involves fear. Instead of saying, well, I want to avoid the pain and the suffering and the fear and the hard work, um, I made a choice to just step up into that space and just go, you know, kind of put put my chin down and do what was necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that included looking my fear straight in the eyes. What am I scared of? You know, step, you, you isolate. What is it that I'm afraid of very specifically? What does that look like? Let's let's evolve that, you know, a little bit more than the quick glance and then look away that we usually do around our fears. Mm. You know, isolate and to clarify what I'm scared of um, and and why. Mm-hmm. Now, why is it why does it scare me? And then there has to be an element of, of mitigation afterwards. Once you've realized all that stuff, what can I do in my body and the physiology with my breathing? Lots to talk about here about breathing mm-hmm. um, to, to relax the body so that the messages from the body to the brain in these fearful moments can shift as a result of behavior, right? They say, you, know, you smile and you feel different, that sort of thing. It mm-hmm. works like that. You you uh, tap your knee when you're nervous, when you're taking a test or something. It's going to make you more nervous because of your behavior patterns. And when you choose to mitigate through physical relaxation and, and emptying of mind, emptying of thoughts, then we can move into the space of, of, of uh, improvement. And then we have to recognize why. Why are you pushing through the fear? Why do you want to be so damn uncomfortable? You could just say, well, you know, that was unpleasant. It was scary. And I'm just going to go back to watching Netflix Mm -hmm. to being an observer and not challenging myself. I got to have a a deeper meaning that's going to help me push forward. So this Mm -hmm. is motivating. So those those four categories, those four steps, I I call it ICM&Ms, isolate, clarify, mitigate, and motivate, right? I see Eminem. I see Eminem. Love it. Mm. Sugar and sugar is evil. Mm, yeah, <laughs> love it. Wow, what a story! I see 
M&Ms. It's a nice way to remember it. Yeah. I see M&Ms. Yeah. I like that. I'll, again, in reflection, when I listen back to this, I think I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of tag that one in particular. So many questions have come up. So I'll do the easy one, not easy one. So how old were you at the time when this happened? Firstly, uh, 27. 27. So then you got to 28 or roughly 28. Then you won the X Games. Can you just talk about that? Because that for me is quite a little interesting story yeah. that I might not have touched on. Yeah. I think I was 27. I have to look back on that exact date, but it was, it was in the 20s. It was a long time ago. I'm 55 now. Um, Jeez, you don't look at man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 56 in May. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and and the, what what? Um, so obviously you won the X Games. You said a year later. What? Um, is there a certain category you won? What? What? what can you just let us know what that was? Free, yeah, free flying. It was free my flying. event. Wow. So skydiving has only uh been part of the X Games in two categories. One is sky surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you jump with a board on your feet, that's just you and a camera guy who's chasing you all around the sky, trying to make you look good. And then free flying, you've got a camera guy that's chasing you around trying to make you look good, but there's two of you and you don't have a board and you're doing really high speed skydiving head first and feet first, as opposed to belly down. Okay. So instead of 120 miles an hour, you're talking about 170 or in the case of my team, like 175 to 180, because I had my teammate was like a linebacker, you know, wow. he was just, you know, literally, you know, football uh, player, yeah, yeah. Body you know, and at the time I was about 160 pounds, I had to fly my ass off. Um, but we had a style, you know, and we had a determination and we trained hard. We trained regularly and we were very creative in the way that we designed our, our skydive. So the, the whole point is to, to not only demonstrate skills, it's also to make the judges have an emotional response, right? They're watching, whoa, and they lean into their nice. screen. You can't believe what they're seeing. Um, and so, yeah, free flying is, uh, it's it's still a major event, but the X Games dropped it because it, we're just too damn expensive. Oh, really? Okay. Well, what was uh, a bit more expensive than others? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about you know, big cargo planes with tailgates and you got to pay the pilots and everything else. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's it's not a cheap sport, but for the few years that they had us on ESPN, um, people loved it. Mm -hmm. It It sounds incredible. Fun when you're, you know, sitting in a restaurant and you look up at the big screen and there's you. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. If one buy me, yeah, that's that's me, people. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) A couple more deeper things. Um, Facing your fear head on. I definitely want to explore that, but I'm just going to park that for a sec. Um, You you talked about your why. I love that because that like finding your why, like, why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through the, through the ringer again and again? What is your why? And and what what was the clarity that, that got you to that point? Mm. I like being the the boulder in the middle of the river. I love the feeling of of being mentally still and composed and powerful, despite the fact that everything in my reality is pushing me in another direction. That it's trying to you know sort of beat me up. Um, just you know, remember you know being up in the uh, the rigging on the ship when you know, this tiny little ship way down there, it looks very small when you're way up on the second yard arm and everything's swaying to be the one that's able to relax the muscles in your body that aren't required in this moment. Love it. To relax the breathing to the steady flowing state that's rhythmic and complete, right? Complete exhales, complete inhales and emptying the mind to just the bare attention of the present moment I just, I get off on being 
calm when you know everything is pushing me towards freaking out it's 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 a really fun process uh, that that you're never done with you know you're still going to get startled you know i say you, you can strap the dalai lama to a train track and he can meditate all he wants to but when when you blow a train horn in the distance He's going to be sweating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great analogy. I can I can almost paint this picture in my head. I really like that. That's cool. Yeah, so that, yeah. that, 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 never no, no. But yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hearing um, you know, groundedness, stillness, presence, you know, that the mindful moments when yeah, chaos is 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 going off all around you. And and you know, it sounds like, yeah, that's a really, really strong, powerful why. Um, quick little side note question here. Um, have you ever done silent meditation retreats? How deep have you gone down the meditation route yourself and investigated that? Quite deep, quite yep. deep. Yeah, I've done, you know, month-long silent meditation retreats up in the mountains. I went to graduate school for contemplative psychotherapy, uh, which is uh, it's, it's a program called Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado, founded by a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And so all of the psychology programs are based in a contemplative perspective. And every single day, one of the required, quote, classes to go sit on your bum and observe your thoughts, observe your breathing, and and you know be here now, like Ram Das said. Mm, that's so awesome. That's... Well, the reason I ask, I've um I've I've got my first one coming up in about two weeks' time, so I'm off to a five day silent meditation retreat. So can't wait oh, myself. I'm kind of I, I, I love it, but I'm a bit kind of scared, but I, like can't wait yeah. at the same time. So um yeah, I'll I'll report back on my experience when I come back and <laughs> tell you about it. Yeah, well, it, I think it's it's a perfect uh, thing for for anybody to do to to get a little bit deeper into your own mind, and to face the fear of uncomfortable silence, because that's the neutral in between all of the gears, right? In 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 life, where we find ourselves provoked in some way, and there's thoughts that are leading us away from the path, to be able to put it back in neutral and let that RPM come down. So that we're able to have choices in front of us instead mm -hmm. of foregone conclusions of our ego and snap judgments, you know, to, to be able to, to rise up out of that and see more possibilities than what first occurred to you. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to find it has massive value in everything in life. Oh man, I can't wait again. Cause yeah, it's the, the, the hyper on always on kind of trying to fight fires and solve things and move the ball forward yeah. the whole time. So yeah. just kind of finding that little bit of groundedness and peace. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. But listen, we want to dive into a little bit of fear here. And you've talked about facing fear head on a big, huge, complex topic. Maybe not. You can probably unpack it a little bit with me. Um, I'm always big on tools as well, Brian. So obviously if there's tools we can talk about, um, a lot of the athletes I work with fear debilitates them fear debilitates their performance um even the stories in their head of what people are thinking so um you know where can we kick off with fear where can we launch off fear with like facing fear head on do you think yeah 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 uh, it all begins with breathing in my experience to to become aware of your breathing what does your current breathing cycle look like and even do some experiments ahead of time to see how you can change the way you you feel and therefore the thoughts that naturally occur to you based on that emotional state by breathing differently. Mm -hmm. So how does, for instance, a, a, uh, a, a squash player that knows that the person that they're competing against is way over their head and their mom's here watching, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. they feel this, you know, this emotional, visceral thing, and they have all this cognitive stuff that's supporting it, and they're seeing in their mind's eye the failure. There, it's already become clear. How do you breathe when you're in that emotional state? It's high frequency, low amplitude, intermittent breathing. Mm-hmm. Where you you can't inhale all the way because the intercostal muscles are squeezing the rib cage. You're just not physically able to expand. And likewise, the exhale usually is not fully efficient. You're not getting rid of all the CO2 and you're locked up into this shallow, quick breathing. Mm-hmm. So if you were to actually do it ahead of time, you know, and just observe how do you feel when you breathe like a scared person, um, you know, and of course there's, there's higher levels of, of fear too, where we have spikes of it, right? Sure. This is, mm-hmm. We have stress, right? Which is, it has to be fed by cognition. It has to be fed by thought. Otherwise it extinguishes. Mm-hmm. So what's no your, fear. um, sorry, Karen, if you, you sorry, Karen. Well, uh, when it, my point is simply to, to sort of observe wh- how you feel when you let yourself breathe like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then to do the opposites. Mm-hmm. Right. Trying different techniques. Your box breathing is one of the things that we, th- we teach the military guys a lot. One of the things I've done a lot of is working with military guys. And they have a, a, I, the first time I, I was working with with DevGuru, they call SEAL Team 6. I started talking about breathing. I couldn't believe how much they already knew. Interesting. Okay. Nice. Respect, like, well, wait a minute. I shouldn't be surprised at that. But But I thought I was coming into this you know, as this, you know, contemplative guy, they, they've never heard any of this stuff before. They just only know machine guns and bombs. Mm. Oh, they knew it. Eh? Mm. Not at all. Mm. And to go deeper into this idea of a long, slow, complete exhale and a hold in the exhale for a period of time, and then a long, slow inhale, mm-hmm. um, it still doesn't necessarily address the ever-expanding na- nature of the necessity of your breathing. You need to, to go bigger up and bigger down, bigger mm-hmm. in, bigger out. And so to, to sort of visualize, not, not a box, because I don't think it's square. Um, the way I observe my own breathing in these moments is to, to inhale in a sort of a round way in your mind. And then when you get to the top end, possibly releasing a little and then inhale, inhaling a little bit more. So you're mm. sparking upward. So those little sips I've heard are quite, quite powerful. Yes, right, right. And then gently, slowly releasing as you relax your body, as you become still, as you keep your eyes still. We do that a lot in the airplane before we're, you know, when we're riding up to altitude, you, you pick a bolt, you know, something in the plane that's not moving, not the back of the nervous guy in front of you, you know, um, you hold still and now you're not feeding your brain more novel information. Mm. love that love that on the bottom trying to push it down with each little micro exhale the sips as you say but the in reverse Mm. really make sure that you're letting it go and what what are you letting go not just air right you're letting go of the negative thought process you're letting go of the doubts you're letting go of the voice of the bully when you're a little kid that says you're not good enough you know right all of that those that that inner critic you know, it's got to have me say, cut it away, right? So if your parachute doesn't open, you pull a cutaway handle, that first parachute is gone. Mm-hmm. And then you open the 
second parachute. And I think it's an, it's an important model to have in our mind as a paradigm. That sometimes everything that's, that you've been thinking for the past, past 10 minutes or something is really not serving you. Pull the cutaway handle and fill it with awareness of breath, awareness of body, awareness of present moment, and then allow that to, to be the, a space in which you deliberately visualize what you do desire, who you want to be, how do you want it to feel, your sense of power is your, uh, I think the, the, that's the opposite of fear in my mm -hmm. mod, my model, a nice. sense of control over it. Mm -hmm. So again, really well described, and I, I'm sure myself included, but the listeners will really get a lot out of that. And what I'm here, I love the cutaway analogy. I'm going to probably kind of steal with pride, by the way. So I'll, I'll definitely reference you on that one. I like that. That's a real good one. Um, because yeah, so, so often the, the problem is letting go, isn't it? You know, you get so attached to it and so sticky and the, you know, the brain is like Velcro for negativity. It's just, it kind of sticks and it's like, wow, how can we get rid of it? But that cutaway analogy and actually even visualizing that first parachute kind of floating away in the distance probably helps a little bit as well, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. You weren't helping me. You know, you're the voice of, of that childhood bully. You're the voice of, of, of my doubt. Um, and, and depersonalizing the negative thought processes. I think that's extremely helpful as well, is in the ego, the, the, the I self that's separate and helpless. Um, to, to recognize that that I self, that shallow self, is in everybody. It's a voice that we've learned from culture. It's a voice that we've learned from, from TV and poor examples at home and things like that. And it's it's not who I am. It's just a thought that happened to be passing through, you know, in between my ears. And I just have to observe it and, and label it thinking. That's what you do in the meditation, mm -hmm. right? You label it thinking and and just observe it as it is and don't make it who you are. Don't own it. It's just something that you were completely infatuated with, like watching a terrifying movie. At some point, you have to say, you know, snap out of it. This isn't how I wanted to feel. I chose content that is leading me away from how I choose to feel. And that's part of the why as well. You know, I, I want to feel good. I want to feel empowered. I want to feel like this, this experience that I'm having is starting with me not out there where I'm volleying back. Sure. No, I like that. And and this, this might um, link possibly to the ego. And I'm going to use maybe some some examples. Um, a lot of athletes that I deal with, they, they get more of the fear when they are expected to win. So there's this expectation that they win. And there's a lot of fear of what other people think. So yeah. that's kind of like the, the the little route I'd like to take with, with this next part of fear. Mm -hmm. The fear of like, oh, where do I sit within my tribe? You know, the group mm -hmm. of people I train with, I'm now, I've lost to that person that I shouldn't have lost to. Have I gone down there? And all of this external fears and 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 what ifs are going to happen? And is this person going to think of me? So any solution, I, I know it sounds like breathing is obviously the first gateway to this. Um, yeah. It sounds like there's obviously a bit of reframing we need to talk about. How would you yes. help an athlete deal with that yeah. then? So when there's that real fear of, of losing to someone that they should beat? Yeah, 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 I understand. Beginning with recognizing in, in a calmer physiology um, that these are just ideas that you don't know what they're thinking. You know, when, when you say, well, I, they're all, you know, expecting or whatever it is, 
they think of me this way or whatever. You don't know what's in their heads. So stop projecting. Stop assuming that you know. Because usually, even the people that you think don't like you probably don't like you, you know, about specific things, but not a general character assessment in most cases. And you're projecting that. You're the one that is making a value judgment about, you know, if I fail, therefore it says that I suck as a human being. Come on. Really? <laughs> you know? You have to to bring these thoughts into the light right in front of your mind and and face it directly and recognize, first of all, that your perceptions, you know, your conclusions may be far off from what they think. Mm -hmm. And the second part of it is to to see how the the thoughts about um, what your uh, what you're perceiving your world sees of you are going to be skewed based on on what you choose. They're going to be skewed based on what you allow. And if you keep allowing these negative thought processes, because of where you're focused, you're going to be drawn in that direction. So there is significant danger, not physical danger in this case, but danger to what you're putting in the middle of your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. Right. We see this a lot with with, uh, new parachutists and sometimes even more advanced ones if you're landing in a field that has one tree, just just one, yeah, it's all wide open, green grass, nice and flat. The new person will keep looking at that tree and they'll keep fixating. They're drawn toward the content, even if it's not content that they desire, because we're not so comfortable with the absence of thought. Even though I say to them, aim for the spaces between things. We're not so good at space in Western culture. You know, emptiness, you know, the silence between the notes is the real music, right? One of those wonderful quotes. To, to recognize that not only does the mind have a natural attraction to content, be it good or bad, but that focus causes us to steer towards that. We don't even, you know, recognize all the subtle ways in which we're drawing dominance of our opponent over us, for instance, because they can sense our fear. They can smell your fear. They don't know it, right? Literally the pheromones yeah. that you're releasing when you're nervous, you're drawing yourself into the negative experience to confirm once again, that what you hold in your mind's eye is very quickly going to become your experience. So I think to, to address that fear directly, you got to know why you're addressing it, because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in what you're worrying about. Yeah. Yeah. I get a very similar little link as, um, that if you've, again, when, when you first kind of learn how to ride a motorbike and when they first teach you that, like when you're looking at the pothole in front of you, you go into the pothole, it's like, lift your eyes, look like kind of yeah. like long vision in a way. But what you touched on there is, is, is a little field of interest that I'm, I'm going down this rabbit hole. Um, it's called REBT, rational emotive behavior therapy. It's a part of cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's all about, disputing irrational beliefs of any right. human being an athlete and yeah. the the practitioner is meant to kind of hold up a mirror going is this the real truth like if you lose this match or if you don't get that job interview you know what like like they talk a lot about i i have to win this match and i have to you don't have to like you know you want mm-hmm. to but there's a big difference between wanting to do something and actually having to do it. Like, look, we have to breathe, don't we? But, you know, we we don't have to get that job. And, and I quite like what you said. And it feels like there's an overlap with that challenging irrational beliefs in our brain 
a lot of players or people can't do it themselves. But um, any thoughts about challenging irrational beliefs? You might have touched yeah. on it already, but I think it's worth absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's an, ex- an extremely important part of this process is to to use your discernment uh, to to clarify you know what's really going on in my mind here and what's the root of it, right? The root of your feeling of inadequacy, for instance. Mm-hmm. What's underneath that? And then when you find that one, what's underneath that as well to to sort of you know uh, uproot and and invalidate the inner critic, you know you give you give it enough uh, you know sort of different angles and eventually it just disappears because it wasn't valid in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was just an old voice. It was an old and voice quite, that quite an interesting one on that that I heard from um another mental coach in, in this field. It's basically asking the question why five times. Like get to your like, you know, I know you might do that for your kind of goal, but if someone has the thoughts, you go, okay, so or they have that irrational belief, why? Okay. And then they give the answer why. And like you said, you're getting under the roots again and again and again. It's yeah, it's quite a powerful way to to try get players to do it. But I'm also interested in again, this might overlap. Um I think it was John Dewey said, we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on that experience. So I think, you know, I love this idea of reflecting with, I'm personally love journaling. And I think it's a real powerful habit morning, evening. um, And I'm always encouraging players to do it, but Yeah. yeah, mindfulness might come in and we can touch on that. How do we keep giving these people listening and these athletes or not even athletes, the tools to to go to that point themselves. Yes, they can have a team around them and they can, you know, get the right people to ask questions, but sometimes it's got to be introspective, doesn't it? Any um any further tools? I know breathing is a big one for you, but any yeah. other suggestions? Yeah. Well, one of them is is to to sit down and journal your doubts on a piece of paper with a pen. You just sit down and and all of your sense of if inadequacy, incompetence, weakness, you know, all of that stuff, just get to the root of it and let yourself feel emotional when you're doing it. Um, you know, the I, there's, there's, with male culture, I've discovered we're only allowed one emotion and that's anger. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work, you know, because we have a, a whole bunch of other brain cells. Uh, and so to journal all that stuff and to really get it out and be able to look at it and you know, reread it and go, wow, that's, that is, the, these are my thoughts. These are my words that I've been speaking to myself silently mm-hmm. and, and it's not serving me. And then I want you to tear that out of the notebook, everything that you've written, and I want you to burn it, burn it, you know, to go through a ritual of really release, but you can't release it until you look at it. You know, in, in Buddhism, we say there's there's touch and go with your thoughts, you know, or you can touch it. You actually experience the thought, experience uh, how it makes you feel and all of that stuff. And then you just choose to release it. And then there's go and go where you just next, next, and you never examine your mind at all. Mm. What's the point of meditation if you don't actually examine your mind? Mm. Uh, so to recognize the difference between touch and go and 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 go and go and recognize also that we have a tendency to touch and grab, mm. hang on to and, and ruminate, you know, mm. chew the cut of our own uh, negative emotions and negative thoughts, thinking that we're thinking that we're going to think our way out of it. Mm. Yeah. And you're not, you're not going to think your way out of it. You're going to recognize, you're going to accept it. That's the truth of my experience. Yes. Those are the thoughts that felt valid based on a, logical or emotional process it was real mm-hmm. and now i'm going to release it because the only thing that's real within my mind is my bare attention 
my empty awareness of self, of body, of breath, of context, that's real. Mm. Everything else is just content. It's just what's on the screen. It is not the computer. Mm. It's so funny. You, you give that example of writing down the fears and burning it. I literally did that. Like, oh, I had, I had, I was working with someone in my teens who made me do that. So into a bucket in the back garden, physically burn it. And he used the analogy of like, actually really see the smoke, like literally the smoke is one of those little letters and those words. So he kind of brought in a bit of visualization with it. And then, you know, in future, he would just like, he would just say a simple line, observe the smoke. You know, if I started ruminating, having the doubts, he just said, yeah. see the smoke. And it was such a great little anchoring. It was I like, like right. It's really cool, isn't it? I kind of, I try to use that with some of my players. So for anyone listening, don't become pyrotechnics out in your back garden. I'll like, be safe if yeah. you're going to do that. <laughs> be safe. Don't burn your house down. This is not an indoor sport. Exactly. Uh, but to, to, to really, uh, to complete the process, right? Otherwise it will continue and it will grow mm-hmm. yeah. in your mind. Right. All of this stuff is is uh, it has the potential to, to grow just like the positive thoughts. It has the potential to grow, but that the positive thoughts can very easily be be you know cut off uh, from the light by the weeds, by the invasive species in your mind. And how many of your thoughts are invasive invasive species from other people's minds? That's you know, the, mm. chain of pain, the legacy that has gone on thousands of years. It's not new, Mm-mm. you know, and so we are starting. I think uh, as as a people to to recognize that that some of the assumptions that we have about the truth aren't really true, mm. you know, about human potential. Mm. Yeah, how many push how many push ups can you do? You know, mm. <laughs> like, yeah, to hold up and, and interrogate it, and and but that links me quite nicely to. Um, obviously the power of the mind and, and and how we can really manifest things um visualizations you know they they a lot of the studies are saying now the, the brain can't tell the difference between a vivid visualization and the actual real event a certain part of the brain knows the body's not doing it but we're strengthening strengthening those neural pathways so when it comes to fear facing your fears confronting fears where does visualization sit within a a toolkit uh, that that athletes or anyone can use i think it's very helpful um, I use it regularly, uh, daily. The The process for me when I'm, you know, let's say I'm going to go and do a competition skydive is to, to learn the skydive, to do the training part of it so it's clear in my mental model um, in a flowing way, right? Where time is actually included in my visualization. I don't just blink and see it. Mm-hmm. I actually take the amount of time that I would to actually do the experience um in in the meditation but first i i find it's much more powerful to address my emotional state to get myself into a calm place and then a joyful place in that order you can't skip the first step mm-hmm. right so because otherwise it's just go and go to to release thought to release energy in the body to soothe and relax and then once you feel really peaceful that's the time to bring up the specificity of your visualization. That's the time to get into the mindset that is as as visceral as you can be, right? Uh, Training only cognitively for a physical activity is proven not to be a complete process. Mm -hmm. You know, the guys that that visualized throwing hoops compared to the ones that practiced hoops, um, you know, we we know that, uh, that, that you do better 
if you actually practice, but the ones that visualized and practiced. Yeah, that's the sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly. the sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. So there has to be elements of both. So I, I, I do the the bigger one before I'm in the event, mm -hmm. but at the same time, one of the uh, really profound quote from a, a great skydiver, uh, a British guy named Pete Allen, good friend of mine. Um, we share a birthday, strangely. Mm -hmm. um, he. Uh, I, I asked him because he, he works in the wind tunnel a lot, you know, the indoor skydiving yeah. mm -hmm. and they, man, they fly and fly. When you're a coach, you work all day. You're, you're literally skydiving all day. When I go to the drop zone, if I do a 15 jump training day, that's a pretty busy day. That's a lot of parachutes to pack and a lot of bananas to eat and water to mm -hmm. chug. You're exhausted. But compared to what these, you know, the, the, the pros in the tunnel do, I was like, how do you keep your mental focus? How do you keep your 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 edges from getting frayed? Mm -hmm. You know? And he said, Well, I've gotten really good at very short, intense meditations. And and it really it it opened up my mind in a in a way that I hadn't thought of it that way. I figured you needed a half an hour to ground yourself. Yeah. You know, I I spent a lot of time in between X Games rounds wandering out into the forest taking off my shoes and oming, mm -hmm. you know, but to, to see it this way that you, one breath, you know, one really empowered breath where you're, you're going through this whole process, but in a microcosm to, to shed, uh, you know, I think it was the, the chalk, you know, you, you erase the chalkboard for the teacher, mm -hmm. you're a good kid and you go outside and clap the erasers and it's mm -hmm. all over. That yeah. keeps happening. You've got to brush it off. Mm, I like that. Yeah, and, and it doesn't take an hour. No, and and that that's that's a bit uh, that I've been going down that route of the, the micro meditation route. Yes, you can do your formal practice, the kind of 10, 15, 20 minutes guided stuff, but actually interspersing your day with 10 to 15 second micro meditations, even us talking, just grounding my our feet or just feeling the desk or, you know, yep. if, as soon as we have to finish this and do something else before we get up and go, just bring yourself present. And the neuroscience is becoming really interesting because they are starting to see real benefits for that, the neural pathway for, you know, the kind of the mindfulness muscle inverted commas, you can call it. Um, yeah. And and before people thought, yeah, you, you need to literally get onto mountaintops and be there for an hour to actually have the benefits. And they're actually yeah. finding that not the case now, which for me is really encouraging. I really like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And something just linked there, I want to pick up on what you said. It sounds like part of your visualization, it's 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 preempted with meditation. So it sounds like there's a bit of a hybrid here because I probably fell into the trap of of separating the two things out. It's like, right, here's your meditation, your calm, that's your practice, and here's your visualization as another practice. But you seem like you overlapped them quite nicely. That's been yeah. powerful for you, right? It has. Well, I mean, part of me, I mean, look at my my uh, example, right? I'm in an airplane wearing an experimental parachute, right? I design and build parachutes. It's the other part of my career. I've been doing that for many, many years. I don't know if this thing is going to work. Well, wow. you know, and half the time the plane is bouncing around and the turbulence on the way up, like, oh, that's not going to help, you know? And I'm going to do a full altitude quick pull and call hop and pop and, and evaluate this parachute that might not work. Often, wow. <laughs> my great ideas that I scribbled on a napkin in a diner were not so great, but there's only one way to find out. And so I'm I'm combating a really intense physiological reaction in my body. 
And so I can't even focus my mind well enough to really see that visualization until I soothe the body. So I think it's great that the volume is turned up so much in, in adventure sports and things like that, or, you know, competitive squash, it's intense, you know, and if you let the, the, the emotions stemming from the body's state spin out of control, you're going to be a yard sale, you know, pieces of you laying all over your own mind and you're going to be disjunct in, in the full form of who you are is just not accessible. So for me, the beginning of the centering practice, not just with breath, not just with body, but with my whole mind, mm -hmm. I'm just being here in this present moment for long enough that the, the space starts to become the ground that my, my, awareness of my world doesn't require content and in fact that is my home is the empty space mm -hmm. and from there i fill that space with a specific visualization hmm. well i've definitely learned something today and that's going to kind of form part of my future practice so thanks for sharing that brian i really enjoy that um so there's a couple of more little questions i want to take you down some rabbit holes if i'm honest brian i could probably sit and do another five of these episodes with you this has just been crazy insightful i want to respect your time and all the value you put in today um so one question that comes up and, and again i think i'm guilty of it I'm not sure if you are how do you help someone who struggles to get away from comparing themselves to others and maybe mm -hmm. becoming jealous and resentful of others' success as well? Because that's kind of a big problem as well. Maybe there's two parts to that question, but any, any thoughts on that whole, you know, comparison is the thief of joy type idea? Yeah. Rise up again, uh, rise up above the battleground. That's the way I look at it. In any given competition, there is this, in, you know, sort of intense uh, drama, a story, Right. But that story isn't real. It's a story that you've imposed on an experience. And it's skewing your perspective, it's skewing your expectations. And we get what we expect because we're getting ready for that, right? We're not getting ready for the alternative, for the best case scenario. And that's what we need to be focusing on. And so when, when we start going down this road of, of jealousy, you go, well, where does that come from? Where did I learn jealousy? It's a it's a load of crap that I've learned from other people mm -hmm. and from my negative emotions that stem from my lower egoic self. Do I do I want the, my ego driving the bus here? You know, or do I want my higher self to be what's in charge of selecting, discerning which thoughts I'm going to go with? And you got to discern those thoughts based on how they make you feel. Right. And jealousy never makes you feel awesome. It's you're never in the vicinity of, of, of passionate being in love with this moment. You know, when you're on your game and you're just loving it, it's just fun. You're just in a celebration of life. It's not about winning or losing in that moment. It's about the, the intrinsic value of the flow state. Totally. So you, you take that story out of, out of your, out of your mind and just recognize, Oh, no, that's just the ego. Thank you for sharing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because the ego isn't who I am. Those are just thoughts that occur to me, and I'm just going to keep releasing them and focusing back on my original intention, which is I enjoy my optimal performance. It's fun. It's fun to lean into an experience that you have expertise in, where the mind goes into this space where time is weird, right? It's like slower and faster, and your awareness opens up to almost an extrasensory perception. 
you know, yeah. and we become super human, you know, mm-hmm. above normal human capabilities. Mm-hmm. It's almost um, quite transcendent that, you know, the flow in the zone state, you know, almost kind of in between uh, kind of earth and the gods at that point in a way. So yeah, I definitely yeah. like exploring that. Um, again, probably maybe a conversation for another time, because once we get down the flow, we kind of grab it all, we might not come out again. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I'm interested in, in this one, this, this might or might not come into your coaching, but perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Any any kind of thoughts on the strengths and weaknesses of perfectionism? Because a lot of you know people you might work with, a lot of people I know I work with, they want to be the best. And perfectionism can be good, but it also can be a massive barrier along along the way. Also, yep, yeah. Well, what are you comparing it to? I, I would begin with that. You know, not just uh, within the context of of the other people, right? So I want to be better than. Well, that's a pretty you know shallow trip. Mm-hmm. All you can ever do is try to be better than you were yesterday, right? All we can do is is try to show up even more and try even harder. And as, as well as you did, you did. You know, it is uh, a matter of acceptance. But you're right. If you don't have a, a really deep desire to try to be as perfect as you can be, but there's no edge of the cliff, you know, where you can fall off and go, oh, my God, my suddenly my self-esteem is just totally out the window because I missed one shot, mm-hmm. you know, because I made one mistake. It's not who I am. It's just what I did. And, uh, you know, so I want all the perfectionists in the world to, you know, sort of honor their value, uh, the, the value of their sharp focus on their intention, their high lofty standards. Thank you for for caring, you know. Thank you for trying hard. And your current performance is not who you are. It's just what you did. It's just a data point on the way. And then that curve on the way to you getting better is going to vary. And that's fine. That's human. That's human nature. Uh, but you, know, you have to always continue. You know, I say, what, what makes you a good skydiver? Getting back in the airplane. You know, again and again and again. And what keeps you back in the game is a positive, sort of a positive emotional affinity for the intrinsic value of the experience. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think um, reminds me of a couple of things. It's, I think I heard it at the end of a great book called Groundedness. Um, and the guy kind of finished the book saying, you know, whatever the path to mastery you are on, you know, the people who are the most well put together out there are continually falling off the path, but their strength is the ability for them to get back on the path without dwelling and kind of ruminating on that path and knowing that they're never almost going to reach mastery, but they're going to be often on it several times, hundreds of times, but they're so good at, at kind of picking themselves back up. And I think that's a real powerful little point there. Um, yeah, and I don't have a second one, but I've, I've yeah, resilience, yeah. exactly. The ability to bounce back from adversity, which, um, which I think is really, really key. And yeah. um, I forgot my second point of perfectionism, but, but I think we've, we've covered that quite nicely. Um, what about confidence? You know, confidence, especially in the in the realm when the results are not showing up. You know, yes, we talk about people trust in the process and the outcome will take care of itself. I think we both mm-hmm. prescribe to that. That's really powerful. But mm-hmm. what if it's kind of like long-term, you know, we're talking six months, 18 months, you know, these athletes are doing all their processes and they, for goodness sake, I just need that breakthrough win. How do you keep someone building confidence and trusting in the process when actually the, the data points really might not be there? Any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think to to get in touch with your uh, the sensations, the experience of mastery in other things that you've done in your life, 
to get to get into the the tone of that you know that that vibration or whatever you want to call it that emotional experience in other things in your life you have maybe you haven't had your breakthrough here your your you know sufficient number of data points to confirm you know your your inner love or whatever you know your trust in yourself and a sustainable buoyancy to your confidence don't make it content based don't make it data based because it's about a visualization of something that isn't here yet but just because it's only in the etheric space of your mind doesn't mean it's not real mm-hmm. it's here now if you can savor the sensation of of that you know absolute success that you've been working towards you know possibly for years if you can be there now timeless spaceless if you can spend more time in that victory dance moment i have students you know scott having students that they crash into the ground and again and again and all they ever do after landing is check for injuries <laughs> you know that's a, that's all they've ever done and I'm like well can you bear with me here let's just take a second put your feet flat on the floor maybe i'll make them take their shoes off sometimes you know <laughs> and just be here in this moment silently picturing you're in final approach you flare you land and it is soft like a feather you know and it was easy and graceful there was no challenge to it it was just fun how do you feel right now show me your victory dance i want you to get up and show me your you know empowered moment at the end of of the breakfast club where the guy goes like this you know they freak show me your victory dance. tap into that emotional experience of that now and you're drawing a a connection between this moment and that you know it's it's really a a quantum creation kind of a thing you know the spooky action at a distance like einstein said you're, you're doing much more than thinking about something you desire you're literally clarifying it in your mind and getting drawn to it like it's an invisible magnet pulling you towards that um, and and take time out of it. I'll get there when I get there, but it's about the process, not standing on top of a mountain. It's a process of climbing up a mountain and a process of climbing back down. Really well put. Wow. Again, I, I love you brought in so many different aspects. There's definitely a groundedness, a visualization aspect. Um, yeah, I like, I like going on to the mountain analogy. You know, ice climbers don't focus on the top of the mountain. If they do, they're going to fall and die. They focus on that one step in the ice every single moment. And, you know, yeah. you could probably talk this to that. Swing, exactly. This kick of the foot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and um, I just remembered my, my other thought on perfectionism, which you almost said. Um, I, I, it's something I kind of journal on a lot myself, which I, I get try to get people to think about be a craftsman you're in your workshop and a craftsman's job is never done it's like you are you're satisfied mm-hmm. turning up to your workshop hammering beating honing shaping your craft but when that day's over there's an acceptance of of the thing you've created it might not be perfect it's probably not even close to being perfect but you're okay with it and you come back the next day so i like the workshop craftsman's analogy to mitigate a bit of perfectionism uh, tendencies as well absolutely Yep. So listen, Brian, yep. listen, we've discussed some absolutely fantastic topics. We've pulled on so many threads. I always like to ask my guests at the end to um, maybe give a final thought or if there's something we haven't covered that you think is really important. Could be stuff that we, we've already talked about that you want to reinforce just so the listeners can go away and go, ah, yes, that's a great little nugget that I'm going to try or think about for high performance in anything, sport or life. Mm. One of the things that I've experienced maybe more than others is the the look back. Um, so imagine you're 98 years old and you're on your deathbed 
the look back, the reflection on your life. And, and you'll see there's there's certain things that have, have significant meaning. There were important times and there were certain things that you focused on that were not important at all, right? I wish I didn't even bother to, to worry about this stuff. Um, and it may not be the same humps and, and little humps that you have right now is, is your priority set. So I think it's it's really important to just flash forward into that moment that I, I keep getting again and again, where they keep trying to throw a planet at me, you know, and I've got a spiraling out of control parachute again, you know, <laughs> and I got to fix it, you know, I got to fix it. But but briefly, in some of these moments, you know, the, the wingsuit spin on my back over Finland or whatever, with the world's largest wingsuit, you do occasionally have these moments of reflection, You're like, oh, I guess that's that, you know, and I think it's positive. I think it does something very, very uh, helpful to look back on your your whole life, your whole career uh, from that that you know exit point, and reprioritize. And and that's going to lead you to to not worry about the stuff that's not a big deal. You know, the, you missed a shot. So everybody misses shots. <laughs> it's not who you are. It's what you did. You tried your best in that moment. Okay, so that, you know, you win some, lose some. But what will you remember? What what will be the true value in the long run? How hard did I try? Was I half-assed? Like, well, I'm not going to try fully because if I try fully and I fail, that's something, right? But if I lose when I'm only half-assed, eh, you know, mm. no big deal. I, I didn't really pull it full on. If I had, you know, you would have seen something. Mm. Try harder, you know? Don't give go. up, all right? And don't let failure be a failure. Failure is just a learning point, right? It's all data. As, as a parachute scientist, I can tell you, I've learned a lot more by the parachutes that malfunctioned and didn't work right than I did by the accidental lucky successes, you know, where things just came together and I didn't even know exactly why, hmm. yeah. right? It's all value. It's all learning. Don't get your panties in a bunch about these little things that happen when you're young, you know? as in under 80. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Do you um do you read um any stoicism? Uh I have yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the Stoics, the Stoics talk a lot about memento mori, meditate on your death, which yeah. is not a doom and gloom exercise, but it's going, mm -hmm. if I wasn't here tomorrow, am I doing the thing right now that I'm 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 good with? You know, yes, sometimes we don't have major choices. There might be people having to run two jobs and stuff, but are you, are you kind of, are you in the moment? Are you present? Are you doing the thing now that if this was to get taken away from you tomorrow, are you okay with that? So what you said there in closing very much links to a lot of stoic philosophy. And, and I really, yeah, get, get quite, um, kind of hit up on that as well. Right on. Awesome. Listen, Brian, you've been an absolute treat today. I really appreciate it. I'm always like to ask my guests, where can people find you, follow you? I know you've written two books, maybe more like, you know, where can people find your more. work and, and, and yeah, more, sorry, sorry. So yeah, sorry. give a few signposts to kind of close up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wrote a book called Transcending Fear that I, I, I wrote it for everybody, not just skydivers. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's read by all kinds of folks. You know, I, I never, I'll never forget the, the back of the room, 30 feet, six talking to another when he's reading he was reading my book at the time he held it up and the guy's like he had this like <laughs> the guy says to him that's a i'm not going to use the words that an abc but you know he, th that that book is awesome is what oh, he said wow. nice it's the only book 
He said that I took with me to Afghanistan in my rock. Oh, that must have given you goosebumps hearing that. It still does. Mm, <laughs> it geez, still does. That's power. It's mm. why I worked so hard to share this perspective. And I'm reminding people of stuff that they already know in most cases, mm-hmm. but need to revisit, you know, and think a little bit deeper into so that they can illuminate the, the unconscious processes and empower themselves to have a different experience. Uh, and a more expanded one. So yeah, Transcending Fear is also a website. It's um, and we also have Adventure Wisdom is a website. And that's primarily uh, focused on the skydiving stuff, but there's there's a lot of other things as well. Um, and there's there's also big air sports with a z.com, okay. which is uh parachutes primarily. Mm-hmm. But it's got a number of articles in there too. Nice. But uh, yeah, and, and so, social media, any social media shouts or not? Lots, yeah, lots of that. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, you know, I'm on Facebook. Like most people started a, a TikTok recently. And had oh, nice. Are you, so how, how's the TikTok going? Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are liking it. Uh, I'm I'm always surprised about which ones they like more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's all good. Yeah. David talked to you know, my cousin David talked to me. He was like, you got to do TikTok. Like, really? That's just for the young kids, you know? well yeah. awesome yeah there's there's lots going on and and i'm open to more you know so if anybody out there has suggestions about other things that i could or should do to to get the message out more i'm all ears amazing thank you for your time today brian absolute treat i've thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a whole lot so and listen hopefully we can keep in touch because it does feel like maybe we could have a follow-up conversation at some time as well do it yeah absolutely i'm in all right thank you jesse that was great fun really good questions i appreciate it